Hagman and Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com, that's our website, Hagman and Hagman for the show, all venues. And, of course, we want to thank Global Star Radio Network for carrying our show, uh, BTR, Blog Talk Radio, as well as Simulcast there, as well as YouTube. You're watching us right here on YouTube, and we've got a great guest now lined up for you. Uh, on on video, uh, coming from, from his studio is James Perloff, but before we get to him, I just want to say truth is a lonely warrior. <laughs> I've said that, uh, seriously, truth is a lonely warrior, unmasking the forces behind the global, behind global disruption, destruction. Let me tell you, if you've, uh, if that book or if that title sounds vaguely familiar, it's James Perloff. It's his book. It's his baby. Now we, we had mentioned a bunch of things, Joe, uh, on the website about the, the deep state and about what the deep state is. We had James Perloff on talking about Pearl Harbor and the, the, the fact that that was a setup and so many things that people believe to be a historical fact or not. I'm going to kick it over to you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> author James Perloff is with us. He's the author of The Shadows of Power all the way to Truth is a Lonely Warrior, The Case Against Darwin. And um, last time he was on, we were talking about Pearl Harbor and the different uh, aspects of how the government was aware of what was coming, yet uh, let the uh, attack happen in order to get involved in World War II. Uh, James, it's great to have you back on. Big show, and you have a well-deserved following. Thank you. Well, thanks. Where do you want to start, Mr. Perloff? I mean, we can start anywhere. The book, I, I really believe that anyone listening to this broadcast who has not read Truth is a Lonely Warrior should, should read that as the basis, the background for for what you, I mean, that answers so many questions, addresses so many topics. But let me ask you this, since you were on last time and it was really kind of an abbreviated uh, time, you really, I mean, people, we're, we still, I, last week we were still getting emails from your appearance. I mean, it was, I like, can't remember how long ago it was, but saying, bring him back on, so you're back on. So where do you want to, where do you want, where do you, where do you want to focus, uh, at this point? Well, you guys were talking about the deep state. Uh, I didn't watch the first part of these shows. That was kind of where we're segueing from. Well, we had we we were talking about a number of different things: uh, fake news, censorship, uh, right? But but it all you know, it kind of all goes back to what the uh, the, the the power behind the, the veil, I suppose, the deep state. Right. Well, that's what I've been uh, dealing with. Uh, just to give people a little, little of my background, I started out in alternative media before the internet in 1985, writing for the New American Magazine. I actually, wrote uh, my first cover story on Pearl Harbor for them in 1986. And in 1988, I wrote, uh, which is selected by my bestseller to date is The Shadows of Power, which is about the Council on Foreign Relations, which I'm sure a lot of your viewers uh, know about through this book or through uh, many other alt-media sources now. And, of course, the Council is that organization that was set up in 1921 as a reaction to the U.S. Senate's rejection of the League of Nations, which was the first attempt to establish a world government, and these bankers, the deep state, wanted a world government, and they wanted to change America's climate of opinion. And so the Council on Foreign Relations was set up to establish a world government, and you go back to their flagship journal, Foreign Affairs, their very first year of publication, 1922, the very first article called for America to join the League of Nations, and the second issue called for a world government, and they've been doing the same thing ever since, although they've changed the tactics from time to time. 
But the other thing to know about the council is that they are the chief recruiting ground for cabinet-level personnel. And uh, to give you some up-to-date numbers, um, this is through the Obama administration. We've had 19 secretaries of state, 21 treasury secretaries, 23 defense secretaries. That includes the old War Department and 16 CIA directors who have been pulled out of, recruited from the Council on Foreign Relations. And because you have one group with essentially the same globalist mindset, that is why you only get cosmetic changes from switching from a Republican to Democratic candidate. Now, we'll give uh, Donald Trump uh, the opportunity to prove what he's going to do, but, uh, you know, in the past it didn't ma- matter whether it was a a Bush or Obama or Clinton, they all wanted the global free trade deals, the TPP, the NAFTA. They all continued the same wars. They didn't give people relief. The, the, the economy continued to go down. The Fed continued to dictate uh, the economy. And uh, this is one reason why. So that was my first book. And uh, then in the mid-'90s, I got into the uh, – uh, I, I, you know, I grew up as an atheist and I became a Christian in the 80s. And I was still very interested in the origins of man and this whole idea that science had somehow proven that we came from apes and from, you know, uh, we originated from the Big Bang, the, the universe itself. And uh, when I explored it and found that Darwin's theory was a house of cards, I wrote a couple of books on that. Uh, the better known one is a Tornado in a Junkyard. The Case Against Darwin is a very abbreviated version for people who don't have time for a long book. But you, had, you guys had Sean from SGT report on recently. Yes. And I think he was the guy who, who actually mentioned me uh, to you guys. But uh, the show I did on him in June on creation versus evolution is actually his best, most watched interview ever. It's had uh, about 900,000 views because this is a subject that still appeals to people. Is the uh, and I, I'm not I don't take it from a theological perspective in this interview or these books for the most part. Uh, although I do talk about the social implications when you replace God uh, with a, a materialistic origin of man and you take God out of the picture, then you take the Ten Commandments out of the picture and you get the kind of culture we're in. So it's very relevant, but also just from a pure science viewpoint, the idea that a cell could come about by chance, no way. It's too complex. And the mechanisms they use. And, you know, they... Um, let me see if I can find that graphic here real quick. You know, in... Um, Darwin's theory, they say that we started out as a germ and we went to from that to uh, an invertebrate, uh, like a jellyfish, and then to a fish, and then the fish wanted to come on shore, and they became amphibians uh, and grew little legs, and the amphibians evolved into reptiles, reptiles into mammals, and mammals into people. Well, you know what? And if you look at the world around us, there's tens of thousands of species that fit into those categories. You know, there's not one creature on the face of the earth that's in between. <laughs> no, they're not there. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming if you really take a look at it. But, you know, I was doing uh, oh, two or three radio shows a week on that in 2001, and then 9-11 hit. And I said, you know what, nobody's going to ask me to do a show on this for a long time. And it wasn't so much 9-11, but within a couple of years when I started to learn the truth about 9-11, that the geopolitical realm, I realized that's more important for me to work on. And so my latest book... Truth is a Lonely Warrior. It's sort of a culmination of uh, what I learned up through 2013 when I published that about the whole history of the Illuminati and the deep state. And so I wanted this to be a book that would be something you could give to a skeptic. And uh, so I start out 
with um, uh, false flags. I talk about all the various false flags that have brought us into war. The sinking of the Maine, the Lusitania, Pearl Harbor, which we discussed last time I was here on your show, uh, Tonkin Gulf, um, the non-existent weapons of mass destruction. And then I, for the second chapter, I say, well, why do we have this pattern? It's because the same people are running the government. So then I talk about the Council of Foreign Relations. And I say, but they can't really be running the show. You need money to to run the show. Let's follow the money. And we look at the Fed and the bankers. And then we look at media control. We look at Freemasonry and secret societies. We look at the broader organizations like the Bilderbergers. Um, we look at the environmental movement, how it was set up to generate uh, control. Um, we, we have a full chapter on 9-11, a full chapter on the Vietnam War, um, chapter on Zionism, and population control, we have a chapter on vaccines, chapter on weather control, just to kind of give people the full picture. Uh, I've said this many times, but if you only give people 9-11, you know, they're going to come back and say, well, uh, our own government would never do that to us. (laughs) And if they did do it to us, then they'd tell us about it on network news. So you have to show them who runs the news, who owns the news, and who runs the government, and give them that full picture, because otherwise... It's like giving people one piece of a jigsaw puzzle. If they see one piece of a jigsaw puzzle, it's just a piece of color. It makes no sense. But you give them the full puzzle, they see how that piece fits in, and the big picture becomes clear. So that's what I'm aiming to do with the book. It's like an A to Z primer on the New World Order. And it's a, it's a fantastic book, folks. Uh, indeed, um, his website, James Perloff, is James Perloff, P-E-R-L-O-F-F dot com. It's linked off of our website, HagmanReport.com, in the program description as well. I just need to ask you this question. I just, I just want to ask this question. Was there anything in your research of that book? Because you, I mean, your knowledge is vast and, and I respect your knowledge. Is there anything in that, uh, in, in your research of that book that, yeah, I don't know, you stopped and said, nah, I got to ch- I mean, that, or that surprised you? That really, really surprised you? Well, I guess I'm, I'm constantly surprised and, um, you know, I, I think that uh, discovering the facet of Zionism uh, for me was a big step forward. I was kind of behind the curve on that for a while. I just looked on communism and socialism as the enemy, and I knew about world government, but I didn't realize that Zionism was the Rothschild plan to center this world government in Jerusalem, you know, the most holy city from for Christians, Jews, and, and, and Muslims alike. Um, so, so there were uh, definitely... Uh, new developments in my understanding of uh, how the world works since I wrote The Shadows of Power, but even since then I've made uh, new discoveries of I uh, in that that book, uh, Truth is a Lonely Warrior I take kind of a skeptical view of Russia I've softened my views a lot well recently after seeing some of the statements that Putin's made and some of the common sense foreign policy measures uh, that he's taken I've also uh, since then as you go to my website uh I've taken a different view of, um, you know, in, in Tuesday Lonely Warrior, I get a little, I'm a kind of soft on monarchies because I realize that, you know, we're, we're schooled in America to um, view monarchies with disdain. We look on uh, America as founded on, you know, anti-King George. And when I investigated, I found that King George, he wasn't that bad of a king. And, uh, you know, by 1773, to surprise most people, there were no tax majors being uh, imposed on America at all, except that one tea tax was a three cents on a um, a uh, pound of tea. Now, I grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, which is where the shot 
fired around the world was was fired, and I uh-huh. got pretty interested in that. Who fired that shot? And so I have a very lengthy article called um, "The Secrets Buried at Lexington Green." I grew up in Lexington. I walked past that green from high school every day, and uh, I found that that was very much a Freemasonic event. Um, so that was something that surprised me. I never thought that I would uh, come to that conclusion, but uh, that's another one that surprised me. And another one that I've changed my mind in on in Truth is a Lonely Warrior, you know, I was looking at aliens as, you know, we're, 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 I'm really kind of hopping over the map. You're, I'm trying to answer your question, though, which That's surprises fine. me. I, I uh, looked on aliens as probably a psyop, sort of a high-tech Pentagon psyop, because there was a book um, back in the uh, 60s, Report from Iron Mountain, where this think tank was just, discussing how they can control the world. They they were talking about how they could fake an alien invasion. They could get people to unite behind a world government. And But since then, I've, I've done deeper research with into the works of people like L.A. Marzulli, and I realize that there is a reality to this. I think that aliens are not creatures from another galaxy or, um, you know, like in Star Wars, who are taking, you know, getting into a Millennium Falcon and traveling at light speed to get to us. I think we're dealing with the fallen angels that are discussed in Genesis 6 and in the book of Enoch and some of the other uh, extra-canonical books. And I think at some point in the New World Order, I think there's going to be a crisis moment when they do arrive again and perhaps present themselves as aliens, but we're really going to be dealing with fallen angels. So that's something else I've changed my mind on. So, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm sure like you guys, as you have uh, your informative guests on, I'm constantly learning new things myself and, you know, uh, evolving my own. You know, your th- animals don't evolve uh, other than what we call microevolutionary changes. But your, our thoughts and understandings do change. And so those are some of the, some of the um, um, thoughts I've had, some of the discoveries I've made that have, uh, have um, been new to me over the last uh, few years. Wow. Okay. Well, that's an interesting kind of a journey, isn't it, Joe? I mean, ways. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, uh, the the aliens and fallen angels. That's how I've uh, viewed, you know, the alien phenomenon, if you will, is, um, you know, military experiments and fallen angel and fallen angel technology. Um, ever since I, I started reading the Bible again and reading the some of the extra-biblical text, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, aliens don't make sense if you look at it through the lens of the Bible and, and Bible prophecy. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it in terms of the Great Deception and, um, you know, when you read in the Bible how it, it basically says that, you know, you're going to have um, entities coming, uh, non-human entities, you know, being mm-hmm. involved in the end days and uh, from armies to um, other supernatural forces like the Antichrist and the False Prophet it makes sense uh, that they would come off as, as extra-dimensional beings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think Hollywood's been psyoping us with all these alien movies, the E.T. and the, um, uh, you know, Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Alien and Aliens and Cowboys and the Men in Black. It just goes on and on. You know, in the 50s, they had these... Uh, B, B outer space movies that became, you know, kind of laughing stock movies. And then they, in the 70s, they started to take it seriously. Start, Hollywood started to put a lot of movie into that, money into that. And I think it is part of that gradual preparing of our mindset to accept these beings as space travelers coming down this superior civilization when they're actually fallen and dark. Because you can be sure God's not, you know, 
Somebody who looks like an E.T. is not going to be part of God's wonderful creation. Oh. It's going to be somebody who's fallen and and yeah. uh, I, I, is, uh, I, I, integrated I, I, with the evil, the the uh, the the, uh, the, uh, the demonic uh, spiritual realm that uh, the Book of Ephesians speaks of. Indeed. And you mentioned the report on Iron Mountain. Uh, I just pulled it up here. It's been a while since I've read this, but um, they lay out some very interesting trains of thought and and. A, points of their agenda that they want to implement mm-hmm. and going right. back and reading it they're I mean they're so much further along uh, I mean they've completed a lot of what's in this report um, mm-hmm. in the functions of war and, and then the perceived functions of war and um, folks if you have time I would suggest that you read the, the report on Iron Mountain because sure. it is very eye opening and there's a couple other publications like this um, that kind of hint as to where the agenda of the New World Order global elitists are going and, you know, back talking about the Bible and the fallen angels, this, uh, to me, um, Satan is very subtle the way they implement. He implements uh, different changes in society and uh, mm-hmm. ideas that people come to accept. I always say that you couldn't, in the 1950s, put what was on TV in the 1990s. You know, you couldn't go from the way they had TV back then all the way, you know, right to uh, the extremes of the 90s and 2000s. It had to be incremental, <laughs> you know. And this is how this is how it works, and and we're everything that they do, they do for a reason. Uh, which brings mm-hmm. me to my point: Trump. A lot of people um, in the populist movement, a lot of people believe that we are in some kind of reprieve because Trump was elected, and populism and nationalism is coming back versus the globalist and you know the, mm-hmm. the big economy, global economies, and free trade. Do you think this is just a smokescreen to get people to let their guard down? Um. Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I guess we, he deserves a chance to uh, to demonstrate how he's really going to act. And, of course, uh, another question is, uh, regardless of what he plans to do, what will the deep state do that maybe they haven't even told him about? Uh, I think it's unquestionable that Trump's uh, election victory uh, represented a victory for populism, because there's no question that regardless of whether or not he is a populist himself, it was the populists who were back, and it was the patriots, and it was um, like me with people who didn't want to see Hillary get in, and so all media, they had this tremendous victory over the mainstream media. You know, the mainstream they really wanted a Jeb Bush Hillary Clinton matchup. You know, it was going to be another one of those dull, you know, a couple of CFRs going at it with meaningless dialogue, and instead, uh, Jeb Bush uh, got knocked out early. And they really put all their their support behind Hillary. They even pulled out George H.W. Bush to say he was going to vote for her. I mean, that's a really a sign of desperation. And she lost. And I don't think that was their intention. They're still hammering Trump, which kind of speaks well for him, uh, that the mainstream media is going after him. You know, uh, I was watching America Online during the uh, uh, approach of the election and there were days when they would have six headlines about Trump and every one was negative. And I, I took screenshots and tweeted them. And I said, you know, every single headline is saying he's a racist and blah, 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 and nothing negative about Hillary. Once in a while they have something critical of Hillary just so they could say that they did. But they're still blasting away at him. Um, I'd like to think that he's going to um, do the things he said. I, I think he talks, uh, you know, sensible on uh, immigration. We do need that restricted. He uh, is against TPP. I don't think he's going to give us any transgender craziness. Um, and just recently he's been talking about um, reining in big pharma to a certain degree, and there's even talk that he's 
had discussions with Robert F. Kennedy um, uh, Jr. about a, being on a vaccine safety commission, yes. which would be great. I'd love to see that. So if he means that, it's terrific. Um, but again, I, uh, I'm a little concerned. He's got a lot of billionaires in there, and uh, he's also got a lot of generals in there. You know, he's got a General Kelly at Homeland Security, General Mad Dog Mattis at Defense, and he's got General McDaniel as National Security. But it looks kind of like a war cabinet, um, which just, I guess, brings us to the segue of what the 2017 might hold for us. But I, I'm, the other concern I have, besides the what looks like a war cabinet, is he's got a lot of Zionists around him. I don't know if you guys watch Brother Nathaniel at all. He's a popular YouTuber. Uh, Jewish convert to Christianity, but he's a New York Jew, born and raised, and um, he did a video about a year ago called Trump's, Trump's Deck of Jewish Cards, and it was about how he's got all these Zionist IOUs. You know, he, he talked in there about uh, Jared Kushner and how yeah. uh, Trump's daughter converted to Judaism to marry the, into this Kushner billionaire family. And he also talked about Trump's uh, debt to Carl Icahn, the Jewish billionaire who bailed him out when he went bankrupt. And as, uh, you know, one of the um, clues to that, he showed how Trump is the only American celebrity to do a campaign commercial for Israeli television for Benjamin Netanyahu's re-election. And that apparently was one of his IOUs. Now, what's troubling is that we now see Carl Icahn elevated to the Trump uh, administration as an advisor at large, no specific title, and Jared Kushner now senior advisor, which is actually a form of nepotism. That's his son-in-law. And the fact that these, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what your guys' position on Israel is. I'm, I'm half Jewish myself, but I have come to realize that Israel is uh, not the friend of the United States that it makes itself out to be, and that we need to be very leery of the Rothschild-funded state and Zionism and what they've done to us from the from the days of the um, of the Levant affair to the bombing of the USS Liberty to the, uh, the being tricked into bombing Libya in 1986 by the Mossad to uh, up to 9-11 itself, which I've come to recognize as a, very much an Israeli-implemented um, event. Uh, so having this war cabinet plus pro-Israeli advisors makes me wary that we might see something, some type of 9-11 event early in his administration. Uh, I know you guys, I think yesterday we were talking about this bombing, uh, or perhaps it was today, I didn't see the first part of your show, but I saw on your website uh, the bombing of Damascus by the Israelis. Yes. Um, uh, suggests that perhaps they are emboldened by Trump's uh, administration and think they can start to get really on the offensive. Would that remains to be seen? Yeah, and in the uh, reading some reports about the airport attack in Damascus, I was reading that it, it was retaliation for an attack uh, that spilled over from the Syrian civil war into Israel, killing uh, and wounding a, a number of Israelis. Uh, and then I also read uh, what you just stated, the, the fact that uh, is Israel going to become uh, more aggressive now that you have a president that is more supportive of Israel than Obama was, um, becoming into power in, in just a short week. And then you have speculation of people saying, well, yes, that's what's going to happen. And as soon as Trump takes office, you know, Israel's going to attack Iran or going to, you know, in, invade uh, Syria, which I don't believe is, is the case. But uh, if Israel does feel safer, uh, I believe they will act more aggressively. We know that they don't, the UN and Israel uh, are going through uh, a divide now. And, um, but as long as the U.S. is, is supporting what Israel does, they feel that they can continue to move forward with their agenda. 
And, and, Mr. Perlow, I, I know we're going to get emails saying, oh, well, the Bible says that, you know, I will bless those who bless thee and curse those who curse thee uh, relative to, to the nation of Israel. And, but I think, I think we all have to, I mean, everyone who would write the email to us saying, oh, this is, uh, oh, you're, you're just being, you're anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. I think people have to relax a little bit and understand we're all adults here, you know, and there's a difference between political Zionism, or correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a difference between political Zionism and, uh, the land, uh, deeded to the Jewish people by God. Am I right on that, or, or am I, what's your take on that? You're absolutely right, and I do have a post on my website. Uh, uh, it's two parts, uh, the War on Christianity, parts one and two. And part one is how the Rockefellers uh, funded the modernist movement, which uh, turned our main, mainline denominations into largely un, not Bible-believing churches anymore, like they used to be a century or two ago. But part two is about, you know, the Rothschilds, they always like to fund both sides of a war. We had this modernist fundamentalist split in the early part of the, the 20th century, and the Rothschilds funded the fundamentalist side uh, through the back door, through the Schofield Reference Bible, which was printed by mi- the millions, came out in 1917, the same year as the Balfour Declaration, so there would appear that God's prophecies were being fulfilled, and Schofield put his notes right on the Bible's pages, and the, the, that Scho- the Schofield Reference Bible was a Bible that was intended to persuade the uh, Protestant community that God wanted the Jews to go back to to Israel, but this is a Ross, This is not the hand of God moving in Israel. This is the hand of Rothschild. You go back to 1829, you can see newspaper posts about the Rothschilds buying up Israeli land. The Jewish banker Edmund de Rothschild bought up uh, so much uh, land in Palestine for the Jewish homeland that his uh, face was put on the 500 shekel note in Israel. But I know we've got a black black uh, uh, break coming up, yeah, so yeah. we'll hit this on the other side. Uh, good stuff. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest this evening is James Perloff. Go to jamesperloff.com, P-E-R-L-O-F-F. He's going to be with us until the end of the broadcast, and we got a number of issues that we want to uh, continue to uh, break down and, and talk about. Well, one of the most requested guests, Joe, since uh, he was on last time, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a, a great pleasure to have him. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. Thanks so much for your belief and your trust in us. Thanks for your support in us. I want to thank each and every one of you who, who have uh, sent us an email, a letter, uh, you know, helping us stay on the air and, and keeping us on the air. We really appreciate that. We appreciate your support. Without it, we couldn't do what we do. And uh, we try to bring you, bring you the best product uh, possible and the best guests possible, like our guest now, James Perloff from jamesperloff.com. That's P-E-R-L-O-F-F dot com. You're just a prolific author on a number of things, including uh, <laughs> Truth is a Lonely Warrior, and, of course, The Shadows of Power, and, of course, the uh, Darwinian uh, 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 series, you know, against uh, Darwin. But um, 
I, I, uh, Ms. Perlar, if I, if I can come out of the gate here, I want to ask you something, unless uh, unless we get, have unfinished business from the last segment. I just want to ask you something here, um, and we can go every, wherever you want. But I, it, remind me to ask you about your uh, latest article about um, the unthinkable has finally happened, Russia and America have traded places. That's your <laughs> latest article on that, because I thought that was – you reminded me about something, about an incident that, that's still classified that mm, – it's just – just weird, but but anyway, uh, welcome back, and uh, uh, let's take it wherever you want to take it. Uh. Uh, well, we could uh, we could go into that. Um, you know uh, what I talked about in that article. It's the latest blog post. I discussed the fact that uh, you know I was writing for the New American, off and on for twenty seven years, which was uh, the house organ of the John Birch Society, and in the nineteen eighties. Uh, we viewed ourselves correctly as the leaders of the free world. I mean, we had our Bill of Rights, we had our, our prosperous middle class, and on the other side you had the Iron Curtain, you had communism, it was a police state. And, you know, I cite there the Black Book of Communism, which I've got on my bookshelf here. Harvard University Press published that. They're very liberal, but they estimated the number of dead from communism around the world at 100 million. That's a pretty low estimate, actually. And... uh the uh, the communists built the gulags. They built the Berlin Wall. They uh, created the Hole of the Mar, which killed six million in Ukraine. They crushed the 1956 revolt. They were the bad guys. We were freedom. And um, in 1985, all of a sudden, Gorbachev came to power, and um, we should have actually um, taken down uh, our military pretty much after that if, if communism was no longer a threat after we introduced glasnost but we at the at the magazine you know we were still skeptical because we were used to old communist tricks and uh there was a, a KGB defector um I don't have his book within reach here but his name was Anatoly Galitsyn and he'd written a book called New Lies for Old in 1984, the year before Gorbachev came to power, and he predicted everything that was going to happen. This is the highest-ranking KGB defector to ever come to the West, and actually, if you see Alfred Hitchcock's movie Topaz, his escape is depicted at the beginning of that film, but his, his books were ignored by the mainstream media, but he was saying, you're going to see a liberalization in the Soviet Union, it's going to be totally phony, they're just... It's a Soviet trick to get you to disarm. Don't pay attention. He predicted the Berlin Wall would come down, as it did. He predicted that a Gorbachev-like leader would come to power. And more than 90% of what he predicted came to pass. And so, over these years, I've been waiting for the rebirth of Soviet communism in Russia, uh, very skeptically, right into just a few years ago. But recently, I've been watching events in Russia. I've seen that the banned GMOs that... Uh, they uh, don't allow degraded television. They, they won't let you have things like uh, The Simpsons and South Park on TV. Some areas have even banned Halloween, which, by the way, I know about free speech, but I'm okay with that because Halloween is all about the occult. We've got enough of that in our society where we have Lucifer having his own TV show on Fox yeah. and Baphomet on display in, in Detroit. We're going Lucifer, and we're going police state with the NSA and, and the Patriot Act. Uh, we're going communist with things like Obamacare and increasing governmental powers. And in Russia, um, you know, they are uh, doing uh, quite a few good things for their people. They paid off their debts to the IMF and the Rothschild banks. And um, uh, one of the things that really impressed me was watching uh, Vladimir Putin 
through many clips over the years as actually a sincere Christian. And I want to read something for you guys that I it's um, I couldn't find a a, uh, a text of this uh, a transcript, but you can see the clip embedded, or I'm watching on YouTube. Uh, but it's embedded in my article. If you just go to my website, jamesphillip.com, and click blog. Here's what Putin said in his most recent Christmas speech. Listen to this. Quote, We see that many Euro-Atlantic states have taken the way where they deny or reject their own roots, including their Christian roots, which form the basis of Western civilization. In these countries, the moral basis and any traditional identity are being denied. National, religious, cultural, and even gender identities are being denied or relativized. There, politics treats a family with many children is equal to a homosexual partnership. Faith in God is equal to faith in Satan. The excesses and exaggerations of political correctness in these countries indeed leads to serious consideration for the legitimization of parties that promote the propaganda of pedophilia. The people in many European states are actually ashamed of their religious affiliations and indeed frightened to speak about them. Christian holidays and celebrations are abolished or neutrally renamed as if one were ashamed of those Christian holidays. With this method, one hides away the deeper moral value of these celebrations. And these countries try to force this model onto other countries globally. I am deeply convinced that this is a direct way to the degradation and primitization, excuse me, primitivization of culture. This leads to deeper demographic and moral crisis in the West. What can be a better evidence for the moral crisis of a human society than the loss of its reproductive function? And today, nearly all developed countries in the West cannot survive reproductively, even with the help of migrants. Without the moral values that are rooted in Christianity and other world religions, without rules and moral values which have formed and been developed over millennia, people will inevitably lose their human dignity and become brutes. And we think it is right and natural to defend and preserve these moral Christian values. One has to respect the right of every minority to self-determination, but at the same time, there cannot and must not be any doubt about the rights of the majority. At the same time as this process at a national level in the West, we observe on an international level the attempt to create a unipolar, unified model of the world to relativize and remove institutions of international right and national sovereignty. And then in parentheses in the subtitle it says, Putin is speaking about U.S. Imperium. Continue the Putin quote, In such a unipolar, unified world, there is no place for sovereign states. Such a world nearly need, merely needs vassals. From a historical perspective, such a unipolar world would mean the surrender of one's own identity and of God-created diversity, unquote Vladimir Putin. And so you see him talking about the need for morality to retain our Christian identity. He's condemning political correctness, transgenderism, pedophilia. And, you know, when did you last hear a uh, uh, U.S. or British politician talk about the need for morality? <laughs> I mean... And, you know, this is not just something he, he just did yesterday. You go back 15 years ago, you'll see him uh, saying, making the same types of statements, but they're not aired in the West. And uh, I am convinced that even though he's ex-KGB, when I heard he was ex-KGB, you know, my guard went up and I said, you know, this is just another Soviet trick. I don't think so. You watch the man, you watch him take communion, you watch him celebrate Christmas in a tiny church, not a big cathedral in Moscow, he goes to a tiny rural church to, and, and stands with children to celebrate Christian uh, Christmas and bows before God with those children. And I'd love to see our, our leaders in the West do that. Now, I, what I said in my article is some people say he's only acting, and I say if he's only acting, give us some of such actors in the West. Oh, that's very true. G- yeah, give us, give us that kind of uh, uh, 
Uh, well, yeah, we'll take it. We, even after, but, but your your position is, I mean, this is genuine. Uh, I, I take it, and yeah, uh, which also speaks to, I suppose, what's your take on, in in using that as a backdrop? Is that is that really, um, is that really what's? I mean, the demonization of Russia and everything, how Trump has been supposedly allied with Russia. What's that about? Against okay. Uh, well, two things. Uh, as far as this being genuine, I, I want to just say that this is not just Putin. It's all over Russia, the return of Christianity. The public schools now have Christian content, so much so that some non-Christian parents have complained about it. And since 1991, uh, there's been 26,000 new churches opened in Russia and 800 monasteries. And that speaks to the fact that there is a genuine Christian revival. It's not just Putin's speech I'm talking about here, but all over Russia. There's a, a there's a, a change taking place of the kind that we pray for in America. Uh, there's a return to morality and a turn to faith. And just in November, Putin uh, and uh, Patriarch Kirill, the head of the uh, Orthodox Church, raised a statue of Vladimir the Great. It's a, a, in Moscow, holding a cross. Um, he was the man who Christianized Russia in 988. He's repudiated Bolshevism and communism. That's that's in the past. I I was expecting communism to make a comeback during the Yeltsin years. But he kicked out the, the oligarchs who were just under Yeltsin who were destroying Russia, and uh, there's been a move of God there. This is what I honestly believe. Uh, but as far as this thing about Trump and Putin, yeah, Putin is being demonized constantly. Every day there's something about. I've been making memes about it. I made one that's been kind of it's been kind of uh, retweeted where a dog has this mess behind him. He says the Russians did it. Now she's seen a lot of those. You know, my toast got burned. The Russians did it. It's become the universal kind of joke that the Russians were behind everything, the CIA was asked by Congress to produce proof that they hacked the election. They haven't produced any. And remember, our intelligence sources, with, this is the intelligence sources that told us that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, leading to hundreds of thousands of deaths, trillions of dollars in expense, all for weapons that never even existed. I think it's time to start turning off CNN and st- uh, stop listening to, to some of our our, uh, our sources here in America and take a, take a good look at alt-media uh, uh, like, like your show and see what it has to offer. But I will say this, that, you know, I, st- I still don't know, honestly, if Trump is the real deal. I, I felt that tr- Hillary was satanic. She had to be stopped at all costs. The, you know, y- you couldn't count on, on both hands the number of scandals that would have taken down any other person. And I do feel that was a victory of alt media. But as far as Trump's alliance with Russia goes, there is an interesting take by a gentleman named F. William Engdahl, and I'm not that familiar with his work, but he's, he's known in all media circles. And he has a pretty interesting take, which I'll just mention. You know that Trump met with Henry Kissinger, and it seems that Kissinger is playing sort of an unofficial advisory role to the Trump administration. According to Engdahl, Kissinger is a long-term old hand at balance of power. And you'll recall that in the 70s, he opened up the door to China with Nixon in Ford. Yep. And uh, apparently, uh, from Engdahl's uh, uh, perspective, what Kissinger was trying to do was to counterbalance Russia by building up China, as Russia was our, the main superpower opposing us at that time. What he says, what uh, what's, you're going to see happening in the, the coming days and months is that Trump is going to warm up to Russia, but the idea is to to make sure there is a split in the BRICS, a split between Russia and China by kind of starting to go after China 
uh, taking down their economy while warming up to Putin. In other words, doing the reverse of what Kissinger did before, which was to warm up to China against Russia. To tell you the truth, I think Putin is too smart for that. I think he's too smart to be played in a divide-and-conquer game. But that was a, a take that he had on, you do see that uh, while Trump is being warm towards Putin, not in the way the media says, not being controlled by them, he is taking a hard line towards China. Mm-hmm. You know, the call to Taiwan, which irritated China, and during the debates he was talking about Chinese steel. And perhaps Engel was right. I don't know about that. Um, I, as I say, I'm mostly more than anything else I'm concerned about the Zionists in his cabinet. But I also want to stress that there are, as we said before, good things in what Trump uh, had on his platform, some good moves he's been making, the pro-jobs moves, uh, anti-illegal immigration moves, and I certainly think he does a hearing and a chance before he passed judgment on him. No question, though, that the media is still going after him. I thought they'd lay off after the election was over, but they're still going after Trump every day with everything they can. It's just they're still trying to overturn the election for Hillary. You know, yeah, and... I want to ask you a question. This is this might not be on topic, but I, it's all right. Um, I, I'm I've gotten so many. We've gotten so many emails about people who are concerned about his safety and about the inauguration and about how all these leftist groups have have really, uh, uh, you know, they're planning on disruption. And of course, the uh, well, they're all over the the internet, and they expect to have just tons of people there at the inauguration. Mm-hmm. So. What's your thought on the the inauguration itself, disruptions potential? But I saw something today, and and help me out with this. Maybe you know more about this than than we do. Uh, the head of the D.C. National Guard, which is under the it's under Obama, it's under the person who's the president. His uh, now I, look, I, I get the fact that that if you're serving at the pleasure of the president, you're Term or your your service is no longer needed. At, you know, twelve oh one on inauguration day. But in terms of this, and I don't know, uh, Mr. Perloff, if you saw this or not, but the the head of the D.C. National Guard, twelve oh one p.m. on January twentieth, which is next Friday, which is during the ceremony swearing in of, of Trump, he's he's no longer going to be. I mean, he's gone. He's not head of the National Guard. Meanwhile, he's got five thousand troops. On, on the street. That doesn't mean, of course, that, um, that there, there won't be any leadership there. It, it, it just, or, or I'm not suggesting necessarily anything nefarious, but the, the timing just really kind of seems odd. The, the, taking a commander of, of National Guard out at that, at that moment, at that moment, it's 1201 is when he's no longer needed. Do you see that? And, and, do you get that? Or is that just ceremonial? Um, I I, uh, I need to clarify this. He's going to have the National Guard called out uh, for the inauguration, and uh, this is an unprecedented, unprecedented maneuver by Obama. Well, no, no. I mean, the fact that the National Guard is going to be out during the inauguration is is not unprecedented. Nor is the okay. nor is the uh, uh, the fact that the head of the National Guard, uh, you know, lose that they no longer have their commission as of the swearing in of the new president. However. This is more of a, you're done at 12.01, middle, in the middle of this whole series of events. One could look at it, and, and there's multiple ways of looking at it. One could look at it and say, well, 
Well, yeah, you know, okay, uh, Trump, uh, he's being, he's, he's obviously, he's not going to be renewed. His commission's not going to be renewed under Trump, so he's done a 12 of 1 technically, but would stay on until there's a smooth transition of that, of that position. But in this case, the Washington, uh, I think it was the Post, I mean, it sounded like, hey, at 12 of 1, I mean, this guy's got his, you know, lunch bucket, uh, bags packed and he's out the door while it's, you know, 5,000 of the troops are standing there. So, although none of this is unprecedented, the timing with respect to his departure and his relief of command is just really kind of odd. I don't know. I just want to ask you about it. Well, would that be normal for the commander of the National Guard, that unit of the National Guard, to lose his commission at the time of uh, changing over from one administration to another? Is this is this a, a have precedent itself, or is this is there something unusual about the timing of that? The, the, the timing is unusual to the extent okay. that uh, that normally. There's that transition. They'll stay on, uh, you know, uh, until midnight, we'll say, or, or the next uh-huh. day. Not at, not, not just, not at 12.01. This was more precise than any other one, any other, okay. uh, previous one. So I, you know, I don't okay. know. I'm just curious. I hadn't heard about that. I will say that, uh, uh, it seems that our military men, which would certainly obviously include the National Guard, Seemed to be very relieved to have Trump coming as president. I, I believe he got a standing O at the Army Navy game. Yep. They certainly didn't want to be taking orders from Hillary as commander in chief. So I, I would think that there's not any danger from the National Guardsmen themselves. And I don't know, uh, I, I think it could be, uh, if the head of the National Guard was to simply walk out in the middle of a disruptive, um, chaotic situation, he certainly wouldn't bring any credit on himself. I think he would certainly, even if he didn't have a mandate, uh, continue to maintain that position. So I don't know if there's any significance to that timing, but I would expect that there will be some violence and conflict. I, I heard that bikers are coming out to be, you know, quelling anti-Trump protesters. We've already seen those massive rioting and protests that occurred with uh, right after the election, right. and it seems that they're still pushing that. The media is still pushing uh, people's tempers. We just saw Meryl Streep gal- delivered an impassioned attack on Trump at the Golden Globes, and it seems that they're really trying to fire people up. It's as if they want to divide this nation, almost like during the Vietnam War with Trump supporters versus, uh, you know, they're exaggerating every one of any Trump, a fault that Trump has in order to, to build people up against him, which, by the way, so it would seem to speak well for Trump. The fact that the mainstream media is still attacking him would seem to suggest that maybe he is the real deal to a you know a, 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 a measurable extent. See, and, and you wrote that book, and he wrote. I mean, you obviously. What am I? I'm telling you, you wrote that book. I, I guess my question to you is. Uh, so does that give him a, uh, does that kind of cut his lifespan short if he's the real deal in a sense? I mean, wouldn't that, based on your writings and, I mean, it seems like they're, uh, yeah, you know, he's Well, got, he might be, in, he might be in that challenging situation. On the other hand, it's possible that the deep state really feels that they have their hands on him and that, uh, you know, uh, the state of Israel and greater Israel is a high priority for the Rothschilds who are at the center of the New World Order. They they have a very uh, Israel-friendly administration here. I think uh, the powers that be uh, at the highest level may want him to continue there and may feel that he would be useful. Uh, it's always going to be a concern for any Trump uh, a supporter that he's at risk for assassination. That's certainly been discussed a great deal in alt media. I'm sure that 
Trump uh, and his advisors are trying to maximize uh, the security around them. It certainly didn't give anyone any comfort to see a security man shooting the Russian ambassador in Turkey recently, which realizes it makes you uh, gives one pause for thought that even when you're surrounded by a security team, you could be uh, vulnerable to some sort of uh, maturian candidate within your own security ranks. But uh, let's let's we should better be praying for the president. We should be praying for any of our leaders in any case. Um, but let's hope that uh, let's pray for America. I do feel that uh, we are at a very very potentially dangerous time. Absolutely, we are. And, um, you know, back to the, uh, populism that we talked about before, I wanted to, to run this by you again because, um, I think this is, is very important in, in the rise of populism. Uh, reading some of Zbigniew Brzezinski's books and, uh, from the early 70s to, uh, his strategic vision, America uh, Beyond 2025, deals with this. And there's chapters, uh, in each book, uh, specifically dealing with the rise of populism. And how to best manipulate that into uh, continuing their globalist agenda, and um, I, I just see a big problem with uh, Trump. I do agree that we need to give him the, the space and, and the opportunity to uh, see what he does. And at the same time, I'm very wary because I see all these people taking deep breaths now that Obama is out of office and Trump got in, not Clinton, and. They're kind of like, okay, this is, this is, um, you know, we don't have to keep our foot on the gas. We can, uh, take a, a break and take a breather because, uh, you know, the president is an outsider. He's not, uh, you know, a globalist. He's not one of these career politicians. Mm-hmm. But there's just, um, I'm not as optimistic. I, I always feel that under, uh, the, what we see going on and what we see presented in the media, that there, there's, um, whether it's the shadow government, the deep state, or, uh, it is directly involved with Trump that this uh, globalist agenda is continuing to move full speed ahead now that everybody is is kind of backed off. And uh, one thing Brzezinski talks about is how to manipulate the populist agenda into more uh, government and globalist controls. And there are uh, even a number of areas outside of Trump's control from the economy, uh, the mm-hmm. U.S. economy, the global economy, the different bubbles we have in the markets and whatnot. Right. They could bring this whole house of cards down if they really wanted to and make Trump uh, look like he's responsible for it. It would be, that's definitely a concern. It would be easy to do that. You know, Janet Yellen has announced she's going to uh, start a, uh, a series of uh, rate increases, which certainly that's novel. I mean, uh, they didn't do that all during uh, Obama's administration. Suddenly they think they have to start increasing interest rates. You know what that does? That pressures the stock market down when interest rates are, are going up. That's a you know historical uh, trend for uh, many decades. And uh, they could certainly um, inflame the passions that have already raised against Trump by having an economic crash, have the stock market crash, have that long-awaited dollar collapse, and say it's all on Trump's watch and it's all his fault, when obviously he's inherited a, a uh, national deficit at tens of trillions of dollars and, uh, you know, a, a dollar that's uh, lost 98% of its value over uh, more than a century of manipulation by the Federal Reserve. So he's walking into a... Uh, a potentially explosive situation, yes, they could definitely collapse everything, blame him, and then create the kind of George Soros-funded civil strife that would give rise to justification of the police state. Absolutely. And another aspect of this, I was reading earlier this week about how the United States government was behind the uh, banning of cash in India. 
and it, mm-hmm. it moves towards cashless society. And it was kind of a, a beta test, if you will, to implement the cashless society in a, in a whole country. In India that has over a billion people and how effective it was. And, and they're still, um, implementing this and how many people in India didn't, they gave you a grace, people a grace period of being able to put money into the banks and, and getting credit for it. And then there was a cutoff date and a lot of people didn't get their money to the bank. I just, um, I see a number of things that are out of the control of Trump or seem to be out of the control of Trump that can manipulate his presidency and manipulate the the people uh, in this country as the divide grows, you know, between the left and the mm-hmm. right. Um, it just seems like it's, uh, you know, Trump's too good to be true, especially in the times we live in. Uh, since I've been alive, uh, every president I can remember in my mind has been corrupt and, and um, you know, mm-hmm. pushing this globalist agenda. Now we're, I think we're just... I hope I'm wrong, but it seems like we're being given a person who's repackaged to look like something that he's not or to be set up to um, make people think that he is um, genuine, and he might be, but it's out of his control what what happens next. Right, because the uh, president is not the uh, most powerful man in the world, as we know. It's usually it's the shadow state, the deep state behind it, just as you were saying. And that was interesting what you said about India being a test. You know, if I was the establishment, uh, I'd want to test a system like that before I tried it worldwide, but we'll, we'll keep talking on the other side of this break. Absolutely. Thank yeah, thanks for managing that. That was a, that was a good save there. Go ahead. We're talking with James Perloff. His website is jamesperloff.com, P-E-R-L-O-F-F. Uh, he's got a number of books. Folks, visit his website, Book Market, and check out um, his body of work. It's definitely... Um, very interesting and, and an interesting perspective on a number of important issues. We'll, we're going to be with James for the next hour until the end of the broadcast, so don't go anywhere. Stay with us. on this Friday, just seven days before the inauguration of President-elect Trump. We are seeing uh, this interesting transition of power, um, some last-minute legislative changes by Obama and policy changes and new rules. We talked about the um, NSA now sharing surveillance information uh, with 16 different government agencies before privacy protections kick in, which is a, a big concern to many. And we're talking with James Perloff, uh, his website is jamesperloff.com, and we're talking about uh, geopolitics and, and the state of the world, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the cashless society, uh, aspirations of the globalist, and, and the beta testing uh, this in different portions of Europe and in the East and India. And I guess my question to you is, uh, you were you were gonna uh, you were starting to talk about um, you know beta how they're testing and experimenting with this idea and how they're doing this in other countries, um, we see, you mentioned the 98% decline in the dollar value since the implementation of the Federal Reserve, leaving only, you know, 2 to 1.5% left of the dollar to be evaporated before our currency is, is basically worthless. Um, where does, 
Where do you see this going with, uh, you know, the continuing increase in, in income inequality, the, the rising of cost of – the middle class is being wiped out systematically, it seems, by economic policies and, and the decline in the value of the dollar. Um, do you see a point in, in the near future where we could be looking at a cashless society situation here in the U.S.? I think that's definitely their, obviously their goal, uh, everything points to that, uh, you know, um, the pressure that banks put on their customers to go digital with their transactions and penalize them if they still take paper statements as an example of that. There has been this trend in money to make it less and less, um, Hard. I mean, uh, one time, of course, people used gold and silver coins in this country. And then when President Roosevelt came to power in 1933, they forced everyone to turn in their gold coins in exchange for paper. And what they were doing was they were uh, transitioning from hard money to soft money in the form of paper, which, of course, can be printed limitlessly. And then they've taken that to, to the next stage. Now they don't even want the paper money anymore. Now they want to make it digital and it's kind of scary to think that your wealth, which at one time you could, you know, maybe people used to hoard their wealth back during the, the bank collapses of the 30s. People did that quite a bit. Um, and, you know, in the in, when the Bolsheviks took over in Russia, they had to go from house to house to confiscate the gold. But when money just exists in a digital form, it's pretty frightening to think that a government bureaucrat could wipe out savings that you spend a lifetime accumulating with a few keystrokes because it only exists as digits in a digital bank account. But that's the way they're moving. And, of course, they do want to get rid of the cash. They do want us to be chipped. I don't know if you've seen Aaron, the late Aaron Russo's interview um, where he yeah. talked about um, his uh, meetings with um, one of the Rockefellers. And uh, the, he was... Uh, told that they were going to chip everyone, that that was the long-term plan. And we see it with this uh, Vera chip, the right size chip that you can have implanted. And of course, they say, isn't it wonderful, you know, if your father has Alzheimer's and he wanders away, you can find him now. But uh, it's so uh, destructive, uh, the thought that um, uh, not only could they monitor your whereabouts through these chips, they could transplant, they could transmit signals to you in a destructive fashion. And again, if you're using this chip to buy and sell, and there are places, uh, I understand in England where they wave their hand and they can buy or sell because they've got the, one of these chips implanted, they could just take that away. We've all known that feeling of swiping a credit card that doesn't work. Imagine when they turn off your chip and you can't buy or sell. And that brings in the Bible, of course, because the Bible tells us that no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And it's hard for me to imagine there isn't a strong connection there between the two. No, you're absolutely right. And Aaron Russo is a, a Hollywood director of trading uh, places. Mm-hmm. And then the, right. the documentary film you're talking about is Freedom to Fascism, I believe. Uh, and then there was uh, an interview he did with Alex Jones that he talked right. about his Rockefeller uh, friend. And, and he uh, admitted that, you know, this guy was telling him what where the future was going and, and mm-hmm. the control that they wanted to wield over humanity. And every time I think of cashless society, it that's exactly where I go is right to, you know, the beast, mark of the beast system because, um, from taking away, uh, the person's ability to ho- hold their wealth, making them become part of a system, an electronic system. And as you talked about earlier, you know, the bank's pushing to move everything digital. That all is so, it coincides with, with exactly with what the Bible says. And now that they're, uh, the, the chip is not only a monetary instrument, but is also being, uh, looked at in the healthcare industry. 
And, you know, they actually have it in the law through the Federal Register that a Class II device or a radio frequency identification chip is a Class II device, and that's going to be implemented 2017-2018. Um, last time I saw the Federal Register from tw uh, September 24th, 2014, 2013, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. And that looks exactly where where this is going, and that is very uh, troublesome. And I believe they only need you know one or two events, a big economic co collapse that mm -hmm. is global, or some kind of um, you know even a EMP or taking everything offline and, and bringing it back. That's all they need is one situation, one or two situations like that to happen where they will be able to implement this. And they'll say, if you don't take this chip, you have something to hide. You're you know you're uh, a terrorist or whatever. They're gonna uh, roll or, however they're going to roll that out. But it's more of a reality today than it ever was in the past. And uh, it's just a, you know, it's going back. To, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And we see, hmm? um, you know, this movement exactly where the Bible says we were going to go. And it seems every day we're getting closer. Very concerning. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, uh, of course, the uh, the Bible also says that the Antichrist... Uh, or the uh, the beast will rule over the whole world, and uh, uh, of course to govern the world you need a world government, and uh, that's another thing that ties together this whole new world order, uh, as we see uh, the League of Nations being proposed, and uh, then the same people bringing us the UN, and then uh, when they couldn't make the UN work, they tried to, they tried to pass <laughs> use the Korean War to get the uh, UN implemented as international peacekeeper didn't work. Then they tried the regional approach, you know, they, the European Union, and which came out of the common market, and they, of course, they developed uh, NAFTA as um, uh, a stepping stone towards a, a North American Union. They wanted the regional bodies to to gradually um, bring about this this uh, this uh, world government uh, step by step, boil the frog. But it may be that there's been enough resistance to the world government that they may feel that they need to take the drastic measure of a war and um, as you said, some kind of crisis. You know, uh, we were talking about uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, confiscating everyone's gold in exchange for paper. You know, that was 1933. It was right after the gr the crash and the Great Depression. Uh, so that was a crisis. It turned our money from hard to paper, and maybe what they feel they need is another world war to turn our money from paper to all digital and chips. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, gold and silver has been a currency in the world throughout history. And just like with yeah. a snap of a finger, they, they change it. And when after the gold was confiscated, I believe it was the next day, it doubled in value. Uh, if I rem <laughs> my memory that, is correct. That's something please whoever FDR gave it to. <laughs> yeah. And um, it we know from the lessons in history, from the, we talked about this a little bit last night, the Weimar Republic, how uh, when their paper currency collapsed and, and sil gold and silver uh, were people who had it, the purchasing power that they had, uh, was astronomical, where people were wheelbarrowing in paper currencies. Right. By the you know by the wheelbarrow, they couldn't even you know get groceries for their family. But you know, mm -hmm. twenty thirty pieces of silver they said would buy you a, you know half or a whole city block in some cases. And to think about that and where we are today, uh, it seems that we're not learning the lessons of his uh, from history. But at the same time, uh, that's all by design, in my opinion, from yes. uh, you know these these shadow governments and where, the way that they're pushing us. Um, the inauguration, if we can talk about the transition to power for a moment, we've seen a number of, um, now we're seeing that there's no threats, there's no, uh, you know, terrorist issues, but throughout the week, the last few weeks, they, they said, yes, there are, we're looking for lone wolf attacks, there's other people talking about protesting and disrupting the inauguration. Um, 
Do you see a smooth transition to power here, or do you see some backlash from from protesters, or do you see a more organized effort? And, and, and uh, if I can just interject something, kind of a compound question, because you've really done some great work on false flag events. Uh, are we ripe for a false flag event here? So, kind of a compound question with that. Um, I I hope that it is a smooth uh, transition, and they certainly uh, have the police power to. Uh, to um, make uh, the inauguration day relatively peaceful, um, but uh, you know, uh, again, you, as you said, the uh, commander was uh, under Obama's authority, and perhaps uh, uh, with the assistance of the news agencies, they may try to make it more violent or look more violent, uh, in order, because they certainly seem to be a, continuing to attack Trump relentlessly, and having a bad inauguration day would only help to. Um, Continue to spoil his uh, image as he uh, proceeds into the uh, presidency. Uh, regarding a false flag, I am concerned about that. And uh, two things. Well, one thing I think we can definitely count on is continuation of the kind of strife um, that we've been seeing in the streets. You know, at one time they wanted to. Uh, you know, Joe and I were talking about the the. Um, European Union and the North, NAFTA and uh, how they wanted to kind of regionally kind of peacefully transfer into world government. It seems right now, if you look at Europe, they're using this uh, Merkel-induced immigration chaos to really destroy Europe and to create the kind of chaos that they need, perhaps, to generate this new world order. And with Trump standing in the way of further immigration in America, I, I believe that we can probably count on George Soros continuing to fund riots like the ones we saw in Ferguson and Baltimore, uh, especially with him as president, with the media just continuing to uh, you know, play up any kind of uh, police brutality in order to uh, uh, create a race war. You know, I think they'd love to see a, ra- a race war is divisive, and they'd love to see that uh, amongst all the races if, if they could um, to help bring this country down and induce the police state. But I'll tell you one thing that I'm... Um, uh, especially concerned about is uh, this um, cover of The Economist, the magazine which is half-owned by the uh, the Rothschilds. Boy, I'm glad you They're, brought uh, that up. Yes. The, uh, the world of... And I didn't... I just had a uh, a uh, black and white printed next to me. It's not in in, uh, in color, but uh, maybe you can see it. It's It's got eight tarot cards in it, and it's got a death card, and on the death card, they have a nuclear bomb exploding, and that's um, their world in 2017. And, of course, that magazine has been known to tip uh, people off. They did have a predictive cover about the Paris attacks last year. And uh, 2017 is a year that I think the Rothschilds have a lot to celebrate as uh, Zionist and New World Order people. Because if you look at it, uh, 2017 is going to be... the uh, a couple of minor 50th anniversaries. It's the 50th anniversary of the taking of Jerusalem, which is, you know, they're, they're big on building this temple that the Antichrist or men of lawlessness will rule from, as predicted in 2 Thessalonians. And it's also the 50th anniversary of the bombing of the USS Liberty. But there's some 100th anniversaries that are particularly troubling. It's the 100th anniversary this year, 2017, of our entry in World War One. We declared war in 1917. It's a 100th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution, which the Rothschilds certainly funded, and Lenin and Trotsky, and that was the first communist state. It's a 100th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration, which was issued to Lord Walter Rothschild and set up Israel. 
And it's also coincidentally the 100th anniversary of the uh, main publication of the Schofield Reference Bible, which birthed Christian Zionism, which supported that state of Israel. So that's 400 anniversaries. It's also the 300th anniversary of the founding of the first Freemasonic Grand Lodge in London in 1717. And it's the 500th anniversary of the Catholic-Protestant split. Now, I know that some uh, Protestants would look at that very favorably. As we got under the thumb of the the Catholic Church, but I think from the Luciferian viewpoint, from the long view, they split the church, and that's what they wanted to do. So I look on 2017, I look at that cover, and I look at the anniversaries they've got to celebrate, and I, I, I think this is a dangerous one, and I think that we might be looking at perhaps another Israeli-induced false flag, especially if they think they've got an Israeli-supportive U.S. government uh, behind them. So maybe something blamed on Iran. My uh, next-to-last article was on 9-11, which I'm still learning about it being a nuclear event. You know, yeah, and uh, Joe, I I just uh, was looking at some emails we're we're getting, and uh, we we probably have a dozen emails uh, wanting you to expand, if if you don't mind, on the – you had mentioned about Israel 9-11 connection or Zionism and 9-11 connection. You can exp- expand on that a little bit, and, and then that, that could kind of take into your uh, cover as well that nuclear aspect uh, that you're referencing. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, we've got the dancing Israelis. Uh, these were uh, five men who were caught by neighbors celebrating as the twin towers were burning and collapsing. They were photographing it. They were high fiving each other. You know, when you high five somebody, that's celebration. I mean, that's you've accomplished something. And of course, uh, they were turned loose after two months by Michael Chertoff, who was put in charge of the 9-11 investigation by the Justice Department. He was a dual Israeli citizen. And what is, what is an Israeli citizen doing investigating 9-11 and turning these Israeli perpetrators or celebrators at least free? You've got uh, Boston's uh, Logan Airport, where Flights 11 and 175 took off, being in, uh, owned by an Israeli firm, an Israeli-owned firm. Right. You've, you've got uh, Larry Silverstein, being such good friends with Benjamin Netanyahu that Netanyahu would call him every week on Sunday. And that's according to the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. Uh, that's how close those two were. And he just, of course, become the new owner of the World Trade Center less than two months before the event. He invested $124 million, he and his partners, and they got a $5 billion payout. And, of course, you've got the Odigo, uh instant messaging, Israeli instant messaging system warning Israelis not to be in the World Trade Center. On that day, you've got Zim Navigational, the uh, ninth largest uh, shipping for- firm in the world, uh, an Israeli firm moving out of the World Trade Center, breaking a lease, which they'd been in there for decades, just shortly before the event, saying that rent was cheaper someplace else. And, you know, on Flight 11, for example, you've got right behind a, a Muhammad Atta, if he was on that flight, but on the flight plan, you'll see there was an Israeli commando, ex-Israeli commando, Danny Lewin. And if you go to my article on Flight 11 on my website, yep. uh, I, I'm not the one who originated this, but there's a picture of Danny Lewin. He had himself photographed in, uh, the, before 9-11 in front of two panels that look like the Twin Towers, and he's wearing a watch, and it's a Swatch watch, hijacker model. And the hour hand, the minute hand, the second hand, and the date are all set on the 11th. And he was on Flight 11 on 9-11, and he's got a big smile on his face. And, you know, the Israeli connections, they uh, 
they run very, very deep. And of course, who is the benefit? You know, when, when you're a detective, when you're solving a crime, you say, who benefited? Who, who had the insurance on this person who died, right? <laughs> uh, America didn't benefit from 9-11. We've got the police state and all these expensive wars. The Muslims didn't benefit. They've been turned into chaos in the Middle East. The only beneficiary was Israel. Um, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I do have, uh, you know, uh, through the uh, assistance of some people who contacted me, my website, I've, uh, uh, my mo- next to last article is about 9-11 as a nuclear event. But I, I'm going to pause here because you guys may have some uh, feedback from your uh, your emailers or yourselves uh, regarding this. Well, you know, the, 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 go ahead. No, the the, the feedback was, uh, I mean, it, it was just the, the, a lot of people don't understand. Uh, a lot of people are, are the Israeli 9/11 thing has caught some people off guard. Um, but if anybody's done their research on 9/11, they would know that there were, uh, you know, the Israelis dancing on the roof that went back to Israel and went on the TV and talked about having to go to New York to document the event. Um, but there is. Uh, when we talk about Israel, like you said earlier, there's a lot of. Um, it seems like everyone gets. Oh my goodness! Yeah. You can't. You know, you can't talk about that. And, and, uh, and this is from not making the distinction between the uh, shadow government groups that that are swaying and like the Rothschilds who who are trying to push agendas and policies in Israel versus the people versus the biblical and historical um, aspects of it, and they, that needs to be separated because. Uh, just, just like America, we have, uh, you know, p- people who are good in the government, then you have these shadow mm-hmm. government organizations that are doing evil things behind the scenes in the name of America, and then you have the people of America, and then that falls into a number of different categories, and, um, it's very, con- it's very convoluted. And you talked about the nuclear aspect of 9-11. Yeah, I'm curious about that, because, there, I've, we've, boy, there's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a subject. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had Judy Wood on, and, and, um, she talks about the, uh, was a particle weapon, a particle nuclear weapon, a the direct, directed energy beam. Yeah. yeah, and um, you know that's something I didn't give much consideration in the past, and I still kind of don't, except for some of the uh, what, what we've seen down there on Ground Zero from the different uh, streets full of cars that were disintegrated to the collapsing and dustifying of the buildings. It's kind of hard to explain uh, without yeah. looking at it in that perspective at, at the same time. Um, but then you get strange. into but there's things that come along with that, like the uh, direct particle beam that people start talking about. There was no planes on 9/11, and it, it gets very convoluted. But we have to be able to separate the factual and potential factual information from a lot of the uh, speculation that we see in the uh, different parts of the internet and messaging boards and whatnot. Well, I just want to uh, first of all say that there are very intelligent uh, people on uh, you know all sides of this uh, analysis of 9-11 but I just wanted to um, uh, bring a step further and this is really with uh, some help from people who were writing to me Um, uh, the way it started off well I I really started about Israel's long obsession with nuclear weapons and um, uh, you know they started their nuclear weapons program in 1949 which is pretty early I mean you just created a new state and you already want nuclear weapons, and uh, even Wikipedia says that David Ben-Gurion was obsessed with nuclear weapons, and um, I cite, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Hilaire Duberrier before the internet, uh, he wrote a newsletter, intelligence newsletter, from 1958 to 2001, I met him when he was in his 90s, he was an old OSS man, he had many intelligence contacts, 
But in his September 1963 newsletter, he talked about Ben-Gurion's fury with John F. Kennedy because Kennedy had sent American planes over their Demona reactor plant. He had just signed a nuclear test ban treaty, and part of the deal was that, nuke, that uh, Israel would stop creating nukes. And Ben-Gurion resigned over that. Hmm. And um, when uh, uh, Michael Collins Piper wrote his book on Israel being the ones behind the Kennedy assassination, I didn't pay that much attention because I'd seen so many theories and red herrings about Kennedy, but I started to pay attention when, when uh, Mordecai Benunu, who was the Israeli nuclear whistleblower who exposed their program, when he was finally released from prison, he said, wait, wait till you find out that Israel was behind Kennedy's assassination over Israel's nukes. I, I started to pay attention. In any event, that's just the lead up. Let's talk a little about nuke, uh, 9-11 a nuclear event. There's, there's more to it. There's, there's say Luciferian aspects. You know, when you, ta- you know, when you talk about some of this spirit cooking and, uh, some of these uh, Luciferian revelations that are made about the upper elite, you know that Satan's behind this whole thing. You know, they used to sacrifice babies to Moloch, mm-hmm. and the Satanists think they draw power from the death. Well, you know, things like Nagasaki and Dresden are actually almost like massive burnt offerings. And it was an author named David J. Dionisi who tuned me into this. Uh, he wrote a great book on Nagasaki, which I reviewed on my website. And he said, Jim, you know, 9-11 was that kind of offering, too. But um, let's talk about 9-11 as a nuclear event and a continuity of that Israeli nuclear program. Benjamin Netanyahu, two days after 9-11, was interviewed by Tom Brokaw, and he made a remark that really went past everyone. But I, I had the clip there, and you can watch it on YouTube. But here's what he said, quote, In 1995, I wrote a book called Fighting Terrorism, and I said, if we don't arrest the tide of militant Islamic terrorism, then the next thing will be is not a car bomb in the World Trade Center, but a nuclear bomb. And, unquote. And then at that point, he kind of hedges. He realized he said a little too much. He says, uh, well, now, quote, now it wasn't a nuclear bomb. It was a 350-ton conventional bomb, unquote. So which makes him wonder how Netanyahu, close friend of Larry Silverstein, wondered what the precise yield of the bomb was. But as um, I looked at it, and again, you know, I've had some help on this. Um, there, are, there are a lot of indications that we're dealing with a couple of suitcase nukes on 9-11. And I just want to give some of the evidence for that. Um, for one thing, uh, the U.S. Geological Survey uh, examined dust samples from the World Trade Center. And they found that there were unexplicably high amounts of components of nuclear fission, uranium, thorium, barium, strontium, beryllium. Uh, no way to really explain it. Um, other than a nuclear explosion. Also, all that melting, you know, those, those melted steel for and the, the fires burning yeah. for, 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 actually, I think it's over three months. And, uh, of course, uh, a nuclear explosion is extremely hot. It's millions of degrees at its center, and it becomes hundreds of thousands of degrees and tens of thousands of degrees as you go away from the center of the explosion. But that was another thing. Another was, um, the seismic booms at Palisade, New York, that were recorded that indicate two gigantic explosions that couldn't be explained by just falling debris. But here's some smoking guns. One is that the type of cancer that first responders get more than any other type of cancer in comparison to its expected rate is thyroid cancer. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because it's a it's a signature of an atomic bomb. Atomic bombs give off iodine-131, which is why some people keep potassium iodide tablets on hand right. to protect their thyroid in case of a nuclear 
bomb going off. So why is the first responders getting thyroid cancer? Uh, it's a it's a smoking gun of a nuclear bomb. Then you've got that vaporization you were we were you guys were touching on. The, inside the World Trade Center buildings, everything was vaporized. There were 10,000 filing cabinets. Only one survived from one of the basements. All the furniture, computers were vaporized. The people inside were vaporized. The only bodies were the ones who jumped before those explosions. Um, that was no collapse. Um, you can't account for the vaporization of the inner contents of a building by a collapse. It, um, uh, well, gee, we're, we're, time is flying. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Well, this is <laughs> fascinating. And, and you're right. There is... Um, a lot of anomalies about 9-11 that don't make sense well, you know, looking at it just from build, yeah. a building collapse. I mean, just the buildings themselves. And you remember when the buildings collapsed and the antennas on top of the buildings just dust, they became dust as they fell. Definitely not normal uh, in the in the structural engineering world. Um, and that's why you had the architects and engineers uh, for 9-11 truth form because it was inconsistent with anything they've seen in the past. Folks, we're talking with James Perloff. We'll be back in our final segment with James right after this. Stay with us. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Perhaps you're a business out there, a small business. Would you like to extend the reach of your business? I bet you would. Would you like to, to have the same opportunities as companies such as Omaha Steaks, Pro Flowers, and Casper Mattress, some of the bigger companies out there? Would you like to have that same power? Advertise on our program. Go to HagmanandHagman.com or send an email to opportunities at HagmanandHagman.com. If you go to HagmanReport.com and HagmanandHagman.com, there's a link where you can, you can, you can, it's a big red box. You'll see it. You'll see it. Click on that link and go ahead and read the benefits what we have created for you. I think it's, I think it's a fabulous opportunity. For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash... 
Trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest is Mr. James Perloff. What an interesting man. His books, fantastic books. Truth is a Lonely Warrior. Go to jamesperloff.com. That's P-E-R-L-O-F-F.com for information. Great articles, too. He's a prolific writer, great author. And it's interesting because we're touching on subjects that, you know, oh my goodness, sacred cows for many people, right? But nonetheless, uh, let's, again, we're all adults in the room. We need to really understand what's taking place, what's going on. And we know that 9-11, right before the break, we were talking about 9-11. We know that 9-11 didn't happen the way, the, the way that they said it happened, regardless of how you think it happened. It didn't happen the way they said it happened. So how did it happen? And why aren't we being told the truth? And it's interesting because Mr. Perloff has done the research, and we're getting into that. Before we get back to Mr. Perloff, I want to mention healthmasters.com. Healthmasters.com, folks, if you're not buying your vitamins, your nutritional supplements from healthmasters.com, you're missing out. Healthmasters.com. Actually, if you go to uh, healthmasters.com and enter the promo code DougBooks, uh, you'll, you'll get a, a fantastic, uh, with your order, you'll get a fantastic uh, a series of books. That's uh, Doug Books as the promo code, but healthmasters.com is the place to go. Healthmasters.com. Uh, Joe, I'll kick it back to you and we'll bring Mr. Perloff back on here and, uh, go for yeah, it. Yeah, be- before the break we were talking about 9-11 and the different, uh, smoking gun, uh, pieces of, of evidence that point to a nuclear type of detonation and, uh, you talked about the, the noise, the booms over the palisades and then the, uh, thyroid cancer, the type of cancer that the first responders were getting and the pulverization of the, not only the buildings, but the equipment and things inside the buildings. And especially even the bodies, like you mentioned, um, you know, they, they found DNA. It, it got down to, you know, on rooftops, they were finding just, you know, maybe tiny body parts or, or pieces of blood and they were identifying bodies just through, uh, you know, analyzing what DNA they could, but there's still lots of people who have been missing and, and, and have never been found. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and my question as well would be, not a traditional nuclear bomb necessarily like, like you think of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Do you have two separate bomb, bombs, types of bombs, but perhaps something more advanced that, that we have not seen before? Or, or what? Um, uh, actually, no, something uh, fairly conventional that we have seen before. Um, but just to complete that evidence, uh, we, we mentioned the, uh, the, the nuclear fission elements in the samples. Um, again, the, the, the seismology spikes, the, uh, the uh, residual fires of thyroid cancer and the vaporization of the contents. Another is the, um, 
the force that blew parts of the World Trade Center across the street. I mean, you had a huge piece weighing multiple tons that impaled itself in the American Express building. Other pieces flew 600 feet and knocked over the uh, Winter Garden atrium, and a uh, nuclear bomb would have that kind of force. Um, another one is that big dust cloud. Remember that big dust cloud everyone was uh, fleeing from? Uh, you look at um, a video of nuclear explosions, they create that kind of uh, ground-level dust cloud. And um, But uh, to address uh, your question about uh, what type of bomb, um, people will, the, the, the foremost objection to this is that, well, where's all the Geiger counter readings with the high radiation? Well, you also have low radiation nuclear weapons. And during the Cold War, we, we tried to develop a clean nuke. We developed what we called battlefield nukes. And we even uh, had something called the Davy Crockett recoilless gun, which would fire a mini nuke. A battlefield nuke is not going to have a lot of radiation because if it does have a lots of radiation, it will affect your own troops. And so with Israel, what kind of nukes do you think they specialize in? Now, they keep their their nuclear program an ironclad secret. They won't say how many they've got or what type they've got. Um, even though we demand complete transparency about weapons from every other Middle East country, it's okay if nuke Israel can keep its program a secret. But obviously, they're going to emphasize low radiation nukes. Why? Because if Israel gets into a war with its neighbors, it doesn't want radiation blowback coming to Tel Aviv. Uh, so they're going to have uh, strategic nukes, suitcase nukes, battlefield nukes. These are the suitcase nukes to be carried in a backpack. So you could have uh, Larry Silverstein is the brand new owner. He's so close to uh, Netanyahu that they call each other every week is a brand new owner easily could have given a couple of agents carrying a, uh, each a nuke down into the basement just where uh, Netanyahu predicted it would be put into the shaft of elevator 50 the lowest point in the building it's the only elevator that ran the entire length of each building in the middle and was its service pits were embedded in the bedrock so that bedrock would create a perfect launching pad for a nuke the surrounding bedrock will contain most of the blast which will follow the path of least resistance going up to the top. And what's interesting about this is it explains the damage to the other buildings. Because, as you, I'm sure you know, Building 7 caught fire, Building 5 caught fire, Building 6 caught fire, Building um, 6 had this crater down to the basement. And why did all these other buildings caught fire? And when did they catch fire? They couldn't have caught fire before the buildings collapsed, the towers collapsed, because if they did, you would see smoke plumes coming from the smaller buildings in the footage. And newscaster would say, we seem to have another building on fire. Now, some people say it was separate bombs, but why would separate bombs not bring these smaller buildings down, except for Building 7 at 5.20 p.m. in an obvious controlled demolition? What happened, uh, what some of us who looked at it believe happened was, when those bombs went off in the service pits of Elevator 50 in the deepest we're talking about six levels down at six basement levels of the Twin Towers. They also had sump pits down there. And the entire trade center was connected by underground pipes three feet wide for stormwater drainage. Now, when that blast followed the path of least resistance up through elevator 50 shaft and hit the top until it hit the top, until it hit the, the place where the air, you know, the so-called airplane holes were, where, where the uh, explode, initial explosions had taken place. Uh, the secondary force of the blast followed path of least resistance through the pipes that were designed to take drain water, flood water out from the lowest points of the trade centers. It was all interconnected and into the other buildings. So that's why you have buildings five, six, and seven catching fire. This is what I'm not saying this dogmatically. I'm suggesting this as an alternative uh, explanation of what happened. And um, 
There's, uh, so this is covered in my articles called "The 9/11 and Beyond: The Israeli Rothschild Obsession with Nuclear Weapons." It talks about how Victor Rothschild stole uh, England's nuclear secrets during World War II and gave them to the Soviet Union, which was the first Rothschild pro- proxy state. Because uh, Victor Rothschild uh, is the father of Jacob Rothschild, probably one of the two most powerful men in the world today. Um, and his theft of those nuclear secrets is covered in the 1994 book, The Fifth Man by uh, um, Roland Perry. This is all documented. It just doesn't get the attention that the mainstream media uh, doesn't want it to have. Okay. Now, now but, but here I'm, now let me ask the larger question. Mm-hmm. What's the, uh, end game? Uh, what, what, if, if, what's the benefit? Uh, who benefits, uh, with respect to this particular, you know, Putting the, the shoulder of the or the blame on the shoulders of of uh, perhaps a non-station non-nation state actor on behalf of Israel. How does Israel benefit from this? Well, it uh, it generates the uh, the wars they need. It, 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 if you go back to the Rothschild-funded uh, Zionist congresses of um, the late 1890s, uh, they wanted this has been a Rothschild obsession to create the State of Israel, the Zionist State of Israel. And uh, I have a clip in this uh, article, I, uh, 9-11 and beyond, from Ben-Gurion, the first Prime Minister of Israel, the guy who got furious with Kennedy over uh, Kennedy's opposition to Israel's nukes. In that uh, clip, you'll see Ben-Gurion, August the 8th, 1945, calling for a new world order. Those are his words, okay? New world order and Zionism go hand in hand. Every government has a capital. So where do you, you know, our capital's in Washington, D.C. Where do you think the capital of world government is going to be? It's going to be in Israel, in Jerusalem. Prime Minister Ben-Gurion said in 1962, Look Magazine, quote, In Jerusalem, the United Nations, a true United Nations, will build a shrine of the prophets to serve the federated union of all continents. This will be the seat of the Supreme Court of Mankind. Uh, or you go to the Jerusalem Report, October the 25th, 1999. You have Rabbi Menachem Froman saying, that Israel will be, quote, the capital of the world, isn't it only fitting that Jerusalem will be the seat of the United Nations cultural bodies, human rights organizations? Isn't it only proper that Jerusalem be the place where members of all faiths convene to announce their freedom of prejudice, hostility, and war? Unquote. So this has been a long part. Uh, Zionism is creating the capital of this world government. A lot of people understand world government, but they're sympathetic to Zionism because they think that the modern state of Israel is some sort of godly recreation of of, of godly Israel, but take a look. Tel Aviv has, voted, has been voted by gays as the most gay-friendly nation in the world. Um, you know, God didn't even allow the Hebrews to uh, enter uh, the Promised Land with Moses due to their lack of faith. Uh, he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He wouldn't let them in. Do you think that the modern uh, atheistic uh, political leaders in Israel today are more faithful? This isn't a move of God. This is a move of the Luciferian Rothschilds. And uh, unfortunately, our churches, I mean, our evangelical churches, have been faked out by it. That's why I have an, a very extensive article on my website called um, The War on Christianity Part 2, Christian Zionism. And it goes into the whole history of Cyrus Schofield, his con game, mm-hmm. and how after the Pope refused to endorse Theodore Hosel's plan for Zionism in 1904, he was, uh, Schofield was immediately sent to England where Oxford University agreed in advance to publish his new reference Bible, which became the uh, birth the birthing of Christian Zionism um, by by uh, reinterpreting scripture to mean that God wanted the Jews, the modern Jews, to return and establish a political state there. Interesting. Interesting yeah. to take. One, one of the things about Israel I go back and forth on 
is in the Bible it talks about, you know, the nation being born again in a day, uh, the reestablishing of Israel and, and the returning of the, the monetary system in the one language. And then, you know, doing research and, and from the Holocaust, Israel obviously was born out of the UN and US resolutions. But then there's another side where I found a very interesting YouTube video that documented a number of different newspapers from the 1915 uh, up until before the Holocaust where it kept talking about 6 million Jewish people. And it it was very obscure references in different papers from across the United States. And it was almost like it was um, priming the pump for that number of 6 million Holocaust uh, Jewish Holocaust victims. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, I have. Do you have any, can you make any sense of that? Well, there seems to be some sort of obsession with it. And, you know, I I just mentioned to you this clip I have uh, embedded on, it's from YouTube, it's embedded in the article, 9-11 and Beyond, where I said that David Ben-Gurion calls for a new world order. It's August the 8th, 1945, and in that same clip, he talks about the 6 million Jews who perished during the war. Now, how could he know that on August the 8th, 1945, the war has just ended, the population of Europe is scattered all over, there's no way they could have done a count or come up with a six. He already had that six million in his mouth. Um, it had been sitting there for a long time. There, uh, of course, has been have been many challenges to that. Nobody denies that the Holocaust took place, or that there were these camps, but many do believe that the uh, what took place in those camps has been altered and exaggerated uh, for the express purpose of creating this Zionist state of Israel and through media control. Uh, I know they say uh, if you want to know who rules you, find out who you can't criticize. Now, six million people certainly did die in the Holodomor of the Ukraine under uh, Bolshevik rule, under Stalin. Um, yet, uh, the New York Times denied that uh, at the time that any starvation was taking place. It was a forced famine. Yep. But you can read yeah. all about the Holodomor now. I wrote an article on it for the New American in 2009. Walter Durant of the New York Times won a Pulitzer Prize for writing articles that denied there was any starvation in Ukraine. Yet, the British historian David Irving, who's the only historian who has been through every document and every German every German archive pertaining to World War II, he questioned the use of gas chambers in the Holocaust, and he was sent to prison for questioning that Holocaust. And so you have to ask, why is it that one Holocaust is considered above examination, yet any other Holocaust can even be denied and there's no consequences for it. So that takes us to another area. We're not going into Holocaust revisionism here, but you raise a great point that the six million figure had been settled on even before the war began. Yeah, and when I saw the video, I, I, uh, that was a few months ago, and I haven't really, I haven't brought it up or looked into it anymore, but I was taken back by how many references to six million, mm-hmm. uh, Jews that were, that were in these papers and, decades before the war started. It was just very strange, and uh, thank you for clearing that up a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we got about, what, 10, 13 minutes left? Yeah. Uh, where do you want to go from here? Um, well, uh, you guys were talking about uh, fake news before. Uh, that's certainly been um, uh, a subject. I, I, I consider the... the uh, you know, it's interesting how this term fake news suddenly appeared on the scene. Yes. And uh, everybody had it on their – in fact, Hillary Clinton said, uh, we must stop this, quote, malicious epidemic of fake news. It was like, it was like uh, the word got out. And, you know, when I look on this is um, it's backlash from mainstream. And you know, I made a meme um, 
uh, other people did it too, but it was, a, you know, original at least at the moment that I did it. I made a meme. Uh, I found a picture of David and Goliath and I labeled Goliath mainstream media and, uh, David, I labeled alternative media because this was a victory. Uh, the defeat of Hillary Clinton was a victory for the alt media over the mainstream, uh, media. But the, uh, fact, fake news label and this, uh, this, there's this new thing and the latest, I'm sure you've heard of it in the latest defense authorization bill that calls for a global engagement center, uh, which, uh, shall quote, lead, synchronize, and coordinate efforts of the federal government to recognize, understand, expose, and encounter foreign state and non-state propaganda and disinformation efforts aimed at undermining United States national security interests. Very, unquote, very broad language there. It seems that, uh, what we're looking at is backlash because the establishment doesn't like the fact that we, the alt media, uh, uh, you guys, uh, uh, and, uh, the Corbett Report and all these, uh, alt, alt media people had the victory. You know, we beat them out. We had a populist victory. Brexit was another example of that, in my opinion. It was a rebellion against the effort to consolidate Europe into this, uh, uh, new world order that, uh, you know, the European Union had, had been designed to do. So, uh, I consider that, uh, and, and you know, they're talking about fact-checking Facebook now, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're not going to be, free speech is being, uh, they want to gut free speech in the name of stamping out fake news. Although I think they're backpedaling in the last two or three days a little bit on this because their own fake news keeps getting exposed and I think they realize they're losing the battle. People are sick of the mainstream media. They've been bringing this fake news from the Spanish-American War when they claimed the Spaniards were showing Cubans to sharks from World War One when, uh, they claimed the Germans were held, hitting the hands of Belgian children, and after the war, nobody found any witnesses to that. Or uh, World War II, when Winston Churchill was making speeches, we shall fight them on the beaches, and it turned out it was only a uh, BBC actor named Norman Shelley. Uh, or the incubator babies, or the Tonkin Gulf, or the non-existent weapons of mass destruction. Mainstream media has been uh, bringing us false news for years, and the reason people turn to shows like yours is they realize that you guys aren't paid by the CIA. And you aren't paid millions of dollars to advance someone's political agenda by some deep state. You're here uh, in defiance of that to bring people the truth, and that's why we're winning the war. And even this fake news uh, scare-mongering doesn't seem like it's having much effect. That's true. However, it's still there. there's still an element of this fake news. It seems like conspiracy theory no longer works, so we'll mm-hmm. insert fake news. Yeah. yeah, and we see um, the pushback. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things this Trump report that came out, this false intelligence briefing, was one of the quicker turnarounds. I mean, I know the intelligence briefing's been there for a while, the false intelligence <laughs> briefing, but um, you know, as soon as it was launched, it was labeled for what it was, which was mm-hmm. a fast turnaround from you know a, a news outlet okay, running yeah. the story to it being called fake. But uh, like you said, they've been doing this for, for decades and centuries. They've mm-hmm. been using false intelligence mm-hmm. to start wars, to launch attacks mm-hmm. against our own nation, to, you know, from, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many examples of it, of, of attempts and uh, of successful um, times where they've done this. Now they're, but the, what you said about the alternative media being the mainstream media, they'll never admit to that. They're saying, you know, uh, the Russian influence of the WikiLeaks <laughs> and hacks, you know, it's Russia's fault for being, for Hillary Clinton's own emails and her staff's own emails to be released. I mean, any country could have done that. Any government could have done it. It doesn't matter who did it. It matters what was in those emails. That was the problem. And then to see, you know, there's now blaming the, the National Enquirer and 
tabloid headlines for Hillary not winning the election. I mean, they're doing and blaming everybody except telling the truth about what actually happened, uh, and that's a little concerning. And I, like you said, they're the, these globalists are willing to take, you know, three, four, five steps back in certain areas that they've been pushing on. And what they do is they're great at, um, you know, creating a distraction with one hand while you know they'll take another part of the agenda and move it forward where they're, uh, you know, not getting exposure from. And I think that's what's happening right now. Right. Uh, they are good at that. Uh, you know, uh, you'll often find that uh, critical events like the Orlando shooting, that took place right when they were passing the TPP, trying to pass the TPP in Congress. They do like to distract us. Uh, but, um, I, you know, we're talking about the Russian hacking. And, uh, you know, if uh, if Putin was the big aggressor they said he is, he would have wanted Hillary to uh, to win the election. You know why? Because the military is not going to take orders from Hillary. So if he's planning aggression, he would have been backing Hillary anyway. But I found this uh, kind of funny, uh, you know, uh, on Twitter. And uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, tweeted this in uh, in, uh, in October. Uh, she said, um, it's not rigged, Donald Trump. You're losing fair and square. Put on your big boy pants because this is what accountability looks like. <laughs> and here's one from CNN. This is October before the election. CNN. No, the presidential election can't be hacked. Now that CNN is screaming it was hacked. Um, and then, uh, Obama, this is a quote from Obama, and, uh, you can, you can see him on YouTube saying this. He said, quote, there was no serious person out there who would suggest that you could even rig America's elections. There is no evidence that this has happened in the past or that there are instances that this could happen at this time. So I advise Mr. Trump to stop whining, unquote. Barack Obama, Barack Obama, October of this year. And now, now he says it was hacked by Russia. And he said it couldn't be done. Um, well, I believe that. Hey, that sells it. Uh, Russia <laughs> hacked it. It's, you know, I, got, I have no questions. No questions. No further questions. Yeah, it's ridiculous, right? Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Man. Sorry about I mean, that. It's just, it just, it, it shows the hypocritical nature and, and how these people will do and say anything just to uh, come across as being right or uh, even mm-hmm. just say anything to to please their base, no matter if it's true or not. Mr. Perloff, are, are you are you concerned about being censored at all? I mean, uh, here we are in the alternative or the independent media. There is a war against the independent media. Are you concerned about being censored here, in the, or or the alternative media being censored in general? Yes, I am. Uh, you know, I was quoting that uh, Defense Authorization Act just to tie in history. A hundred years ago, they passed something called the Espionage Act when World War One began, and um, they uh, had provisions against uh, free speech in it, which caused a lot of people to go to prison. And I'm actually going to quote the uh, they had the Espionage and Sedition Acts, and um, uh, whoever, when the United States uh, is at war, shall willfully utter, print, write, or publish any disloyal, disloyal, profane, scurrilous or abusive language about the form of government of the United States shall be punished by a fine of not more than $10,000 or imprisonment for not more than 20 years. Uh, that was written into the act. And, you know, not one German spy was ever caught under the Espionage Act. There's only Americans who protested the war. And just to give a ex- uh, couple examples, Robert Goldstein made a movie about the Revolutionary War in 1917 called The Spirit of 76, but it portrayed Britain negatively, which was our ally at that time. He got a 10-year prison sentence. And Louis Nagler, who was Assistant Secretary of State for Wisconsin, uh, he refused to contribute to the Red Cross, whose war council was headed by J.P. Morgan, uh, partner Henry Davison. He said, you know, 
He said, uh, there's, quote, there's too much grafting. These subscriptions, not more than 10% goes to the soldiers. Unquote. He got a 20-year prison se- sentence, and I was eventually commuted. But they used the excuse of war to say that people were disloyal, and people were really going to jail just for speaking out. And so, yeah, you can see uh, that uh, with the fizzling of the fake news um, a mantra that perhaps they will try to, uh, if they did get into a war, I, they might get more serious about it and say, you know, you're working for other countries. You know, WAPO, the Washington Post had this article, I'm sure you know, that said that there were all these uh, Rus- uh, Russian disinformation websites. And they named uh, Paul Craig Roberts and James mm-hmm. Corbett and even Ron Paul, yeah. former candidate, <laughs> was named. And, the, and, you know, they presented no evidence whatsoever, which is by definition, fake news, right? When you when you uh, print a story and there's no evidence to back it up. So, I, yeah, I'm concerned that uh, uh, if the uh, their uh, uh, fake news uh, approach doesn't work, that they might resort to uh, actual uh, legal measures to suppress free speech. Yeah, I did a video about that. Uh, the asymmetry of, of warfare or of the censorship that uh, the uh, uh, asymmetry of the warfare against uh, free speech, and uh, I mean, we're seeing it in lawfare. We're seeing it in. All right, right before you had uh, come on, we spoke with Tara from Reality Call Show out of London mm-hmm. in the UK, and she said, "You know, you can't. There's things you can't say. You'll get arrested." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's certainly progressing in that fashion. Uh, James Perloff is our guest, or has been our guest. His website, JamesPerloff.com, and if you want a real treat. Of course, the Shadows of Power on Amazon or jamesperloff.com. Truth is a Lonely Warrior. That's a fantastic book. And of course, all of his articles on jamesperloff.com, linked in hagmanreport.com. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta read these articles. I mean, these are very well researched and extremely, well, uh, widen your, widen your, uh, uh, intellectual, uh, uh, prowess there because there's some good stuff I mean it's all good mm-hmm. but a lot of stuff go ahead yeah you do it when you write and put together um, the, the stories you do a great <laughs> job of um, articulating all the different um, aspects of, of the story and covering a, a huge amount of, of ground when you do that and that's very helpful you don't just take a, a preconceived notion and, and drive that point home you really uh, do a good job of opening it up um, so people can make their own mind and, and continue to do research based off uh, what you've written. And it's a, a big help. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a great pleasure to um, to be part of the truth movement. And I think that uh, the more uh, guys like you and, and the rest of us uh, who are committed to uh, alternative media can need to get the word out. The more the bloggers is going to be, the more people waking up. And uh, the harder it's going to be to enforce those kind of measures they want to enforce. So, uh, you know, we have truth on our side. They only have money on their side. And truth has a great way of winning out. You're in a courtroom. you got a, uh, a fair shake to present your side of the story. You're going to win over the liars. And so that's why alternative media is winning. Uh, we have truth on our side. And we know that Jesus Christ himself said, I come to tell you the truth. We know that God's on our side. The enemy's got Lucifer. He ain't going to win. Amen to that, and thank you so much for your gracious gift of time tonight. It was a, it was just a fascinating uh, two hours with you, and it yeah, just went by so quickly. Yeah, covered a lot of ground indeed. We're going to be watching for, well, 
next Friday, the inauguration, the turnover, mm-hmm. see what happens after that, and immediately following that, we're going to see uh, what's taking place. But, uh, again, Truth is a Lonely Warrior, great book, as well as The Shadows of Power. Uh, Mr. Perloff, Shadows of Power, is that still in print? Can we still get that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's been through many printings. Uh, it's, it's sold too well to, uh, uh, for the publisher. I'm not the publisher of that one. Um, the, to give up. So yeah, it's, it, you can get it on Amazon very easily. Okay. All right. Cause I, yeah, I was looking, I just, for some reason I couldn't, it looked like it was, uh, there, there was, uh, limited copies available. So, all right. Very good. God bless you, my friend. Thanks, hey, thanks for coming on. We look God forward to having you guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, folks. That'll do it for us this week. Uh, my goodness. What a, what a <laughs> tremendous week news wise, fake news wise. A lot of ground covered with Mr. Perloff. Great, gracious, gracious man, great guest. And of course, uh, Tara from Reality Calls earlier. Next week, we've got a, just a tremendous week for you planned as well. Mm-hmm. I want to thank JD, John Robertson, Eric the Tech, Jackie, Joe, Lady the Studio Dog, and each one of you. Thank you for your gift of time. Thank you for being part of our program. Thank you for caring enough to tune in. And thank you for being a part of the truth as it really is. Joe? Till Monday. Uh, have a great weekend. Stay safe and uh, Settle we battle, will uh, we'll be here if anything uh, Yeah, if anything does happens. break uh, you can tune right in and check HagmanReport.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And by the way, subscribe or follow James Perloff on social networking and go to JamesPerloff.com to uh, bookmark his website. God bless. Thank you.